Man, someone did a good job picking those songs tonight. Oh, Jay wasn't here this afternoon, so I picked them tonight. And uh, I like it. We're starting to get a hand-raising section. That's biblical. That's a good thing. And raise your hand in praise to the Lord, never in show for yourself, but in love and adoration for our great Savior and all that he's done for us. He's been so very good to us. Tonight, we are in the book of Ephesians. We've been here now for a long time. We're going to continue to be here for a long time. So um, we're going to take our Bibles, chapter number four, and I'm going to run through a couple of announcements real quick. This coming Sunday is Super Bowl Sunday. Around here, we're trying to say a Super Bowl Sunday. And uh, so 9.30 service will be normal. 11 o'clock after that, we'll have a soup potluck. And someone said, does chili count? I hope someone would bring chili because soup doesn't fill you well. You know, Caroline will tell me every once in a while, I just feel like soup. <laughs> I've never said that once in my life. That's, yeah, she always feels like soup. And if it's cold side, I just feel like soup. I've never said that once in my life. I might say, man, I want a ribeye steak. That sounds really good. I might say, man, barbecued ribs. That sounds good. A bacon cheeseburger, but never soup. So if you have chili, bring chili, and have it be spicy, too. Spicy chili at that. Man, good stuff. I, but I do have to preach after that, so it won't be very long, so I won't eat too much of that. And I've been, I've been trying to be a good boy lately. It's been, I've cut way back on soda, doing a lot more walking, and uh, not having as many calories and things. And William thought it was the weirdest thing today. Went to Red Robin with him for his birthday. It was yesterday. I went to Red Robin got a burger but I got wrapped in this green stuff and he's like that was 200 calories saved on two pieces of bread why not the bread isn't that good and uh but the lettuce wasn't any good either <laughs> so basically but now I understand the why they have the lettuce their lettuce is there to keep you from getting the sauce and stuff all over your hands but they had they had a mound of it it was like that's not I ordered a burger and Peeled it all back to one little piece. My hands got dirty, but it was okay. I got it down. But he's like, Dad, what did you just order? I said, I know, son. I know. Don't follow my footsteps. Just stay skinny your whole life, and you don't have to do this, okay? And so, um, so anyways, that'll be on Sunday. Then we'll have our afternoon service at 2 p.m. We're in the book of Nehemiah this week, and we'll just do a normal Sunday evening service at 2 p.m. And those who want to stick around for the Super Bowl after that are welcome to. And then the other announcement I was going to make tonight is on February 9th, there's a mandatory teachers meeting and just going over procedures and things. And if you help in Awanas or you help in any of our kids' programs at all, you need to be here at that meeting. And I know sometimes you hear the word mandatory and you think, that means nothing. I'll just not come. No, that means you need to be here. Like, Pastor, I got something that's very important I got to do. For verse number one, we've been here now three weeks on these couple verses. And last week we only looked at one thing and we're going to continue further on tonight. I therefore, <clears throat> the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing, forbearing one another in love. That verse, you just look at it and you just skip through those things pretty quick and think there is a lot there. Last week, we only looked at the first part with all lowliness. Tonight, we're going to look at meekness. We're going to look at what long, what long suffering is all about. What forbearing one another in love is all about. And we look at verse number three, the Bible says here, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit 
and the bond of peace. Throughout our study here in the book of Ephesians, and as far as we've gotten, we've learned quite a bit of things here about God's goodness to us. All the things that he's blessed us with in our lives. And how all that we have today is not a result of who we are, but it's because of who he is and what we have in him. A theme you'll notice throughout the book of Ephesians, especially that first two chapters, everything is in Christ Jesus, through Christ Jesus. Every good thing we have comes from him. Salvation comes from him. You could not earn it on your own. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. And many people think that they got to earn it, and they got to do all these different things. You could never earn what Christ has done for you. But we get to chapter number 4, and Paul says, in, as we look back over everything we've studied to this point, and all the things I've told you, the church here in Ephesus, because of this, he says in verse number 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you. Hey, he's trying to get their attention. Hey, it's important because of all that the Lord's done for you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. That's quite a challenge we find here in verse number 1. Every redeemed child of God has been placed by grace into the body of Christ. We are in him by faith. And we're to walk like him as we move through this world. That verse tells us here, it says that we walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we're called. That The way that we're supposed to live in such a manner, and we used it a couple weeks ago, that, bal that balances the scales with what Christ did for us when he died on the cross. So if you were to simplify that, you would say it this way, we are to give ourselves to him completely as he gave himself for us. Paul did the same thing back in the book of Romans. First 11 chapters, a lot of doctrine there, a lot of things telling us about all that the Lord's done. And then he says, therefore, I, be, therefore well, I, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. After all he's done, the least we can do is live for him. And Paul's saying the exact same thing here in Ephesians chapter number 4. In verse number 3, we see the fact that we're commanded to walk in unity as a body. And in the, you think about your body tonight, there's got to be unity in it for it to function properly. You, you think about it, take a hammer and strike your thumb and see what your body does. Your body works together. You'd be amazed at the unity your body can sum up in a moment of crisis. And Paul describes the church, the local body, just like a physical body. And we've seen in verse number 3 the fact that it says there in my Bible, verse 2 and 3 are on different pages, it says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. One of the things that we see here is the fact that if we've got to endeavor to keep something, it must be pretty easy to lose it. There are a lot of churches that are not unified the way God would want them to be. A lot of Christians, and we look at it, we could look at it and study it out, say, why is it that we can't be unified? Because people are so different. We have different opinions. We have different tastes. Because maybe you like the gray in the building, and maybe you don't. Maybe you like the wood wall. Maybe you don't like wood walls. Because people like that stuff, some people don't. We could probably go around the room. Some of you like it, some of you don't. I'm not going to have you raise your hand. I don't want to know tonight. But, um... We all have different opinions on things. We're all selfish by nature. It's easier to be selfish and prideful than it is to be humble. 
It takes work to be humble. And if you're sitting there tonight thinking, nope, not me, pastor. It's easy for me to be humble. Think about what you're thinking right now. You just proved my point. Just when you think you've reached humility, you've lost it. How quick it goes. We see the problem and how we need unity. And Paul takes the middle verse of chapter number 4 and speaks to us about the path to unity in the church. I want you to look real close. He mentions five qualities here. He says, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. The first quality we looked at last Wednesday night, lowliness. This word means to think or judge with lowliness, to possess lowliness of mind. It speaks of humility. A great way to describe it would be a deep sense of one's littleness. It's not thinking little of oneself. It's not thinking of oneself at all. What genuine humility is, is the absolute, it's the opposite of pride, which is only thinking of yourself. You see several other qualities mentioned here tonight. We're going to take a little bit of time and break these down. I want to spend some time here in chapter number two and study, in chapter, in verse number two here, and study these out, because if we want to, if we want to walk worthy of location where we're called, then our church needs to be unified. How are all men going to know that we're his disciples? By our love for one another. When a church is not unified together, we aren't showing the love of Christ. I say, Pastor, do we have a problem with, with, uh, with this area right now? Are we not unified? I think, we're, I think we're doing all right right now. But it's always good. Preventative maintenance is good. It's a good thing. Things to remember. And I will tell you this. Because we're not perfect, there's always little issues that come up. There are those people that just irritate you. Let's be honest. Who, who would say tonight, people sometimes irritate me? Would you raise your hand? And those of you whose hands aren't up, you're lying tonight. <laughs> Everyone, the people irritate us. Now, I'm not going to have you do How many could say someone in church irritate? No, don't raise your hand. No, we're not going there tonight, okay? But as we talk about the path to unity, we got to start tonight. You see, the first thing that's mentioned in that verse is with all lowliness. It starts with humility. Humility is key. Only by pride cometh contention. Only by pride. And the Bible's clear about that. There is no other way. And sometimes we look in a church, oh, so-and-so, they said this to me. Who are you? We think big stuff of ourselves. How dare someone say that to me? Pride. Pride, pride, pride. Tonight, you probably have your notes there and you're thinking, when are we getting to the notes? First thing there is number three. If you've kept your notes from the past couple weeks, you'll know that there was a one, a two, and then this is number three. Number three, we see the path to unity, and this is part two of last week. Last week we looked at lowliness. Tonight we're going to look at the rest of them. The Bible says meekness, long-suffering, forbearance, and love. If we're going to have unity in the church, it begins with lowliness, which leads us to letter A, meekness. Oftentimes when we hear the word meekness, we often associate it with weakness. We think of someone who's weak. That's what our world does. I understand something. The biblical meaning of the word meekness has nothing to do with being weak. This word, it carries the idea of gentleness or mildness. It does not speak of weakness, but get it this way. The last little line there gives you a great definition for meekness. It's power under control of a master. Power 
under control. You think of a wild horse that's been broken. That horse, though it's been broken, still remains and has all the power and wildness it ever had, but it's been brought under the care or brought under the control of its master. If you think of lions and tigers at a circus, meekness would be a good word. They're still wild animals, and I would never want to be in a cage with either one. I don't know why anybody would, but that's beside me. But when you think about the word meekness, it has to do with it's a direct result of what humility is all about. The meek person has the power to revenge hurts, but yields that power to the master, Jesus Christ, and lets him have it. So when we're wrong, we act, we react like Jesus would react. One of the, most, the meekest person in the entire Bible would be Jesus Christ. Great example of that is Luke chapter 23, verse 33 and 34. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left, then said, Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and they pardoned his raiment and cast lots. That was power under control. Because what could Jesus said? Hey, Lord, get me off this cross and send your angels and take care of these idiots. Well, that's probably what Brian would have said. He could have done that. He said, no, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Even when Jesus got arrested, the young people tonight at Teen Hour were talking about and asked some questions and you know how that verse says how Peter drew out the sword and chopped the guard's ear off. If I would have been Jesus, I would have picked up that ear and thrown it as far away as I could. He healed the man. Power under control. You have people that will say, but Jesus, he got angry a lot. There were times where he got angry, and he did get angry some. I'll give you a great example of that, John chapter 2, verse 14 through 16. And found the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured the changers' money and overthrew the tables, verse 16. And he said unto them that sold doves, These things... Take these things hence, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. And you'll hear some Christians say, that's how we're supposed to be with everything, just like Jesus. Get mad at all sin. Get mad at every little thing. Get mad at people and the things that they do. That's not how Jesus was. So why would Jesus get mad? It's his father's house. Mark chapter 3 gives us another example. Verse number 4, and he said unto them, is it lawful to do, and he said unto them, is Awful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil, to save life or to kill, but they held their peace. And when he had looked round about on them with anger, Jesus had anger. Do you see this right here? Woo! Being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he said to them, Stretch forth thine hand, and he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the others. And the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the um, Herodians against him how they might destroy him. So what's the difference between us getting mad and angry and Jesus? I can understand something. Jesus was perfect. He was always angry about the right thing at the right time for the right reasons. Most of the time when I get angry, when you get angry, when I get upset from people walking in from getting a drink or whatever they're doing. Oh, sorry, Connor. <laughs> How hard is it to sit for an hour? No, I'm just trying to be meek tonight. It's okay. Connor, I love you, I really do, sometimes. Um, the diff, you think about it, and I just lost my train of thought. That's okay. That's why you just don't walk out during the service, especially on the front row. And then if you come back in, you just sit on the back row, so then that way you don't distract me again, right? 
so it's okay. It's okay. I'm supposed to have ushers back there doing that, but I haven't even got a trained usher right now. And I, I keep having Ryan do things as an usher, and I haven't told him really one thing to do, so he's just like... And then have, I feel bad for Ryan lately. He got the soundboard. He doesn't really, he doesn't ever run it, and then he's messing it up, or someone else is messing it up. I think people are setting it up for him and everything else. But anyways, so, yeah, Connor, just be smart to sit in the back when you come back in. And so, um, but I've seen pastors get ticked off and yell at people for walking back up to the front. Tell me how Christ-like that is. So you just tell a little joke with it, and it makes it all okay and a smile. And I still love you, Connor. And, uh, but I hope after the service is done, you come to the altar and get right about it. So. But most of the time when we get mad, we get mad because we've been wronged. Our rights have been stepped on. Somebody's hurt us. Most, if not every time, our anger is stirred because we're centered on ourselves and what's happened to us. Jesus, in his anger, was concerned about the things of God and the right things. Very important. So when you speak of meekness, it speaks of spiritual and moral strength that's not self-assertive, pushy, or heavy-handed. And there are several biblical examples of meek people. Think about David when Saul's chasing him. And David goes and Saul's in that cave, and David had a chance to kill Saul. He could have. David was a meek man. He could have. was power under control. You know who the Bible says is the meekest man in the Bible? Moses. And man, dealing with those people and all the things that would happen, the Bible lets us know about Moses. He was a passionate leader. He stood up against Pharaoh. He confronted Israel. He got upset at times. Remember the golden calf and he takes the stones and just throws them? He's mad and he smites the rock when he's not supposed to and these different things happen. And the Bible calls him the meekest man, the meekest of men. Think about this. People who are angered by every nuisance and every inconvenience know nothing about meekness. The Bible says, Proverbs 16, verse 32, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. The strongest person in the world tonight, church, is not the man or woman who can put others in their place. The strongest person in the world is the man or woman who controls their reactions to all events in life. Meekness. Meekness is not something that is natural for. We talked about humility, not natural. Meekness is not another natural quality. Let me something. Isn't it listed about the fruits of the Spirit? And I've, had, I've had someone come to me one time and say, Pastor, I cannot be meek. I can't. It's just not in me. Think about that statement. It's just not in me. If the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you, it is in you. That's why we've got to yield ourselves to the Spirit and let Him work. Instead of letting ourselves, letting that old man run things. And biblical meekness, it's important. There's some other notes that you have there, and you can look at those later on. Think about it this way. A meek person is not weak. They're Christ-like. We should be striving for meekness in our lives. And if we want to have unity in the church, it begins with humility and lowliness. It continues on with meekness. There's going to be t- things that happen that you're not going to be too happy with. Someone's going to make you unhappy. This guy right here might make you unhappy. And I don't know how that could ever happen. I really don't. That's Caroline. I never make her unhappy. She's always happy with me. She's, I, I hear people say, I, and a lot of you, you'll agree, I always see Caroline, she's always smiling, and she's the happiest person in the whole world. And I think to myself, 
There's been a few times she hasn't been smiling. But it's probably me. We need meekness. We need meekness. This next one, it's a good one here. Long-suffering. 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 With all loneliness and meekness, with long-suffering. This word literally means to be long-tempered. That means I can just have my temper a long time. No, 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 no. Good try, good try. Speaks of patient endurance of trials, afflictions, and others. <laughs> People are going to try your patience just a little bit. Someone who is long-suffering is the opposite of someone with a short fuse. Or someone who flies off the handle pretty quick. That's not someone who, is, who has long-suffering. The people who exhibit long-suffering knows what it's like to be hurt by others. They know what it is to be wronged and mistreated, and yet this person knows how to control reactions to the actions of people. You know, a great verse, I think we saw this verse on Sunday, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 14 and 15. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil against any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. You talk about long-suffering, that's exactly it. Long-suffering patiently endures those people who get under your skin, who aggravate you, who hassle you. And a preacher years ago said it like this, it's the, spirit with, it's the spirit which has the power to take revenge, but never does. That's what long-suffering is all about. True long-suffering, as we talk about it, manifests itself through a humble spirit. It accepts the bumps in the road without complaining, without trying to get vengeance. Long-suffering never quits. There are great examples of those who displayed long-suffering in their lives. Like Abraham, about Noah, building a boat for a very long time. And do you, could you imagine what people probably said to him as he's building that boat? Yeah, he was a preacher of righteousness, the Bible says in the book of Jude. Moses, not only was he meek, but there was a lot of long-suffering. Every little thing those people would just complain about. Literally, God does all these wonders and gets them out of Egypt. And then, oh, so we're going to die in the Red Sea. We're going to die. God gets them over the Red Sea. Moses, we're hungry now. Use bras out here to starve us. Really, God brought you, did all those things in Egypt to show you how powerful he is. He gets you across the Red Sea, and now he's going to let you die. You're like, just die then, okay? No. What does the Lord provided food for them? Man, Moses, he was long-suffering. How about Paul? Man, all that he went through. Beatings, the scourgings, the shipwreck, imprisonment. How about God with me and you every day, multiple, multiple times? I'm so thankful to have a long-suffering God because I need it. Let me say something. We love that God has it for us. We need it for one another. And with the Lord, you can. Man, if we want unity in the church, it begins with humility. Not only does it involve humility, but meekness, that power under control, that long-suffering. Next, then look at the next one, forbearance. Do you know what the word forbearance means? To put up with. Literally, that's what it means. It speaks of our ability to tolerate others. Oh, that person you're thinking of right now. That's what forbearance is all about. Pastor, you mean I got to put up with them? Yeah. I know you're married to them, but yeah, you got to. You're the one who said I do. Forbearance is the ability to accept people just as they are. 
without wanting them to change in order in order to be worthy of your love you got to understand something we're talking about forbearance here this is not talking about sin that we're just going to put up with sin there's a big problem in churches today where we just allow sin to go unchecked there's also a big problem where you get too high and mighty on sin and someone someone picks their nose in the service and you make them come up and confess it to the whole church the whole church already saw it you don't got to worry about it you know and uh I'm not kidding. I'm, what are you guys laughing about? But when we th- look at these things, we don't just put up, we don't put up with sin. Sin has to be dealt with. Uh, that person just annoys me. Just their personality annoys me. That's what I'm talking about. Oh, if there's anybody, you know, you get to church, you're like, we're having, we're having our special dinner sign. I, if Lord, just don't let me sit by so-and-so tonight. Please, anybody but so-and-so. That's what forbearance is about. It's a big problem. In churches. Big problem in youth groups. <clears throat> I am the youth pastor, aren't I? Our teens need to love one another and put up with each other. We have few, so every little thing gets dragged out and made a big deal and there's drama with it. You need to get the Holy Spirit inside of you and put up with one another. Because guess what? I put up with you. And guess what? You got to put up with me. That give and take relationship. And I love it. I love our teenagers. I wouldn't trade any of them at all. Except if they walk in again when I'm preaching and go out. I'm just teasing you, Connor. I really do. I really do love you sometimes. Forbearance. You know, it's a hard command. People are weird. People are not just the way you think they should be, right? People are odd. It's not always easy to put up with people. The hard thing is, what you got to understand is, no one made you the judge of how a person should be. They're weird. Yeah, they probably are. But have you ever looked in a mirror? You might be a little weird too. The Bible's clear. Romans chapter 14 through chapter 15, verse number 7. You can read it sometime on your own. Or to give people the room to be who they are. If someone wants to be a vegetarian, why you would do that to yourself? Be a vegetarian. You want to be a carnivore? Be a carnivore. What happens is when we walk in pride, we, uh, we judge people because they don't meet up to our standards. We judge them because they're not just like us. We judge them because they're just a little bit different than what we are. And you show me someone who stands in judgment of the actions of others, and guess what you're going to find? very prideful person. If we're going to have genuine unity at church, we got to learn to love one another. we got to learn to be patient with one another. we got to learn to be meek with one another. Think about this. God didn't wait to love you till you got everything right in your life, did he? You do everything right, then I'll love you. No, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If he could do it for us, then, then we should be able to do it for others. He doesn't expect us to do anything that he did not do. How we need it. We see it tonight with all loneliness and meekness, <coughs> with long-suffering, forbearing one another, and look at the last two words, in love, in love. Of this word here, we see it's tied to forbearance, forbearing one another in love. We are to tolerate one another in love. This word speaks of our passion one for another. The only way we'll ever walk in true lowliness, meekness, long suffering, and forbearance is if we truly love one another like Christ expects us to. This kind of love is the love that Christ has for us. It always seeks God's best for the one who is the object of that love. You see, when we are displaying all these things that we've looked at, love is the key ingredient to it all. 
this kind of love's commanded for us. In Matthew chapter number 22, verse 37 to 39, and we've used the verses many a times, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy might. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. We're to love one another as the second great commandment. All the commandments hang on those two things. And we make sure you understand something. You can never love your neighbor or love your fellow church member right if you don't love God. It always begins with God. Hey, every relationship in life, husband and wife relationship, you better love God. You will not be able to love your spouse like you should if you don't love God. I got a good inkling inside my mind to be married for 54 years. I think they both love God. Now, love's been displayed to each other for 54 years. Yeah, there's been tough times, I'm sure. Two humans living in the same house. And at that, husband and wife, man and woman, think completely opposite on things at times. But when you love the Lord, he'll help you love others like you should. So important. And I know we've gone through these. I want you to go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The problem is we might go through these often, but do we live them? 1 Corinthians chapter 13 I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burdened and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. You see, Without love, nothing really matters, right? And you can do your best to give, to give to the poor. You can feed the homeless. You can do all these different things. But if there's not love there, it means absolutely nothing. Charity, love, suffereth long, and is kind. Charity, envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, it's not puffed up does not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. Love never fails. True love never fails. That's why the Bible says that I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. True love, God's love, never fails. And what I want you to understand tonight as we get ready to close and as we look at just a few last things here tonight, God wants, and as Paul said, hey, I beseech you, I beg of you to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. You've been called a Christian. The Lord has done so much for you. So because of that, do your best to keep the unity in your church. Because people are going to see the unity in your church, and they'll see if God's really in that place. Because where there's unity, that's where God is. Where there's divisiveness, that's where God is. And you read about the early church in the book of Acts. When were things going well for them? People being added to the church, souls being saved, people baptized, all these things happening. They had rest, and they were all in one accord, in one place every time it's so important but what ties all these things we talk about humility is key love is key say pastor i love line up how you love based on corinthians 13 we see the first thing about love that love suffereth long well doesn't that sound like long suffering just a little bit suffereth long 
This word means patient endurance under uh, being provoked. The literal meaning of the word is long-tempered. This characteristic of love reveals the truth that love does not retaliate. Love, charity, suffereth long. Look at the next one. Love is kind. This word refers to active goodness that goes forth on behalf of others. Love is not hateful or mean. It respects each other and reaches out to one another. I would encourage you, I'm not an expert on marriage. 13 years going on 14. You guys got me, you guys got us beat for 40, 40 years in like six months. That's a long time right there. But I'll tell you this. Every married couple would do good to memorize 1 Corinthians 13 and see what true love is. I've heard many a couple sit in my office and say, Pastor, we're done. I've loved her. I've loved him all that I can. This is what love is. Measure your love based on what God says love is. We got in our world today a wrong idea of love. This is true biblical love right here. The love that a man's supposed to have for his wife is this love that's listed right here. Suffereth long, it's kind of this one, charity, it envieth not. True love is not jealous about the abilities or the possessions of others. They got a new car, and my car wouldn't even start this morning. Love says, I'm happy they got a new car. And not just saying it, but meaning it. And what would happen in a church where we'd pick up on these characteristics? Guess what? There'd be unity, and everyone would know we're followers of Jesus. Charity suffereth long, it's kind. Charity envieth not. Next, charity vaunteth not itself. What does that mean? Ha ha, did you see church? I got a new car! Woo! It doesn't make a parade of something. That's what vaunteth not itself means. Bragging on self, boasting about self, parading around about something. Love doesn't do that. Love knows there's someone else that's in the room that's really suffering, and they could really use what... That's not how you act. It's not what love does. Love suffereth long. Love is kind. Love envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. How about this one? Love is not puffed up. What do you mean by puffed up? Arrogant and proud. Because church, at the end of the day, we, nothing we have is because of anything that we are. It's all by God's goodness and his grace. Every good gift and every perfect gift, where is it from? It's from above and comes from God. How can we get puffed up about it? Next, does not behave itself unseemly. Love is never rude. Love treats others with compassion, consideration, and respect. Love controls emotions. Love is not friendly one day and rude the next. That's not what love is. Genuine love tries to make Jesus look good. This one, seek charity, seeketh not her own. True love is never selfish or self-centered. It's always interest. What will profit others? And a great one in marriage. If I sit back and be, Caroline's not loving me the way I need to be loved. That's seeking my own. That's not love. You know what love is? Do everything to make that woman happy right there. I'm not worried about myself. Make her happy. And her goal should be to make me happy. When you get your focus on yourself, that's not love. That's selfishness. That's seeking your own. Marriage does a lot better when we're worried about the other person. What can I do to make my wife feel loved? Not great at it. I try to be at times. But Caroline teaching all day long or different things that go on throughout my day. I might send her a text message. I might get her a coffee at Starbucks, get her a little something, make her day better. And do you know what happens? When I make her day better, my day goes better. But it could go the other way around. I'm sure when she, if she's not seeking her own, she's seeking to try and make Brian happy. It makes her day better when Brian's happy. Too many marriages are self-focused. Because what happens is you come, so I have people come to my office and they'll be like, my husband's not doing this and he's not doing this and he's not doing this. And he says, my wife's not doing this and she's not doing this, not doing that. First thing I say, quit looking at what each other's not doing 
Why don't you focus on what you should be doing for one another? And they never come back, and I wonder why they don't ever come back. <sighs> True love isn't selfish. Oh, the next one is not easily provoked. Louis, on Sunday, the 49ers lose. I'm not going to come provoke you. I'm going to give you a hug. Okay? If they win, I don't want you to come rub it in my face that the 49ers have seven championships and the six and the Chargers have none. And I saw this, someone put memes, and I'm just learning about memes and figuring them all out, but they put this meme and said, Tom Brady and the Chargers have just as many rings as the 49ers could have. Well, Tom Brady has six, the Chargers have none. That was a slam on the Chargers is what that was. And uh, that's not nice. It's not nice. Not nice at all. You need to comfort the feeble-minded, right? Yeah? True love keeps no records of evils done. How about this one? Thinketh no evil. This phrase literally means takes no worthless inventory. You know, you know why my husband did that? He did that just to spite me. How do you know that? I know that. I know that other teenager in the youth group. They only looked at me that way because they were trying to get that point across to me. Thinketh no evil. I know what you're doing. Let's be honest. You do not know what anybody else is thinking. There are no mind readers in the room. I know there are some women that think they're mind readers. Let's be honest here tonight. You're not. But I will say this. A woman has a much better chance of reading a man's brain than a man does reading his wife's brain. I agree with that statement. <laughs> Love thinketh no evil. Let's finish up here. Love, what does it do? It rejoices not in iniquity. Love doesn't rejoice in sin. Whether it's their own sin or the sins of others, love hates sin. And I see it often. I see a preacher or a good Christian friend of mine that sins and gets out of ministry and things. Never once have I rejoiced in that fact. Don't rejoice in iniquity. That's not what love is. But I will tell you this. There have been times with those same type of people who do rejoice in the fact that the truth came out. Because the truth is always right. doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love hates all forms of evil. It loves the truth. Well, this love bears all things. Bears all things. The word beareth means, literally means to cover. Instead of parading the failures and faults of others before the world, Love covers over them and continues to love in spite of those things. Love beareth, beareth all things. Believeth all things. It always, love gives the, the benefit of the doubt. Believeth all things. Love places the best possible interpretation on everything that happens. <coughs> love hopes all, hopeth all things. Has a positive outlook. Expects the best, best possible outcome. And then here's another one. Love endures all things. That word endure here, it's a military word. It's a term and means that love doesn't give up the fort. Love stands its ground and continues in spite of everything that's thrown at it. In spite of the persecution, ill treatment, love bears the unbearable, believes the impossible, holds on the incredible and never gives up. And then we see the Bible says that charity, it never fails. If we're going to be honest tonight. Go back with me real quick to Ephesians chapter 4. Like, Pastor, are you done? Just about. Don't worry. I'm not going as long as Jay, okay? Just remember that tonight. We're rounding the finish line right now. And what your thing is, if you were as good as Jay, you could preach as long as Jay. That's what I would say, too. Because he went long on Sunday. But you know the sign of a great message, and when God's in something, 
when a message can be super long and it feels like only a couple minutes. And that's exactly how it was on Sunday. So you can do that anytime, as long as the Lord's with if, if you're going long and it's not that good, I'll give you a signal sometime. But if we're honest, look at verse number two again. Do you have lowliness tonight? Meekness? Long-suffering? You, are you forbearing one another in love? Man, if we want the Lord to be pleased, for our church to be unified together, the people of the church need these qualities. What are you lacking, and what do you need to instill so you can have a church that's unified? One of these is missing in your home. You need to apply in your home so you can have a home that glorifies God. God's not glorified without unity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You even see there, there's one body, one spirit. They're unified in all things. We represent the King of Kings. He's done so much for us. Are we walking worthy the vocation wherewith we're called? Let's love one another. Hey, when someone doesn't shake your hand on Sunday morning, let's be okay about it. When you get mad at Russ that he wants to go to an angel game instead of a Dodger game, Louie, don't get mad about it. Just know, you got to think about it this way. Dodger tickets are more expensive because the Dodgers are just that good. <sighs> Anyways, let's be unified together. Oh, I talk about sports and it brings, it's all good. Let's just love one another. And in spite of all of our differences in, in this room, there are so many differences. Go around and there's a lot of differences in all of us. But God brought us together in this place. And God has a job for us all to do together. So we might as well like it to be with each other. Enjoy the ride together. Father, I love you.